to Redcast with me, Alex Gordon, and my comrade Stuart McGill. Uh, this is Redcast, and in this series of podcasts, we're going to be talking to guests about the sporting loves of their lives. Uh, we're talking here about sport as politics by other means, and we're interested in talking with fans, sports obsessives, players, writers, commentators, about the underlying dynamics that drive their sport. Why do sports fans identify so strongly with a club, a team, a player, a jersey, when it is, after all, a multi-million or multi-billion pound operation owned lock, stock and barrel by corporate interests in hock to banks, media moguls and organised crime? What is it about sport that gives meaning to the lives of so many people and why? Today on Redcast, we're delighted to be joined by another very fine comrade, Les Doherty. Uh, Les, uh, welcome to Redcast. Hello. Uh, we're going to just introduce Les and then uh, get into the real meat of what this discussion's about, which is the great sport of cycling. Cycling with its historic links to social progress social change, socialism, feminism, cycling, which is the de facto low technology sport accessible to working class people all over the world, the bicycle, which brought victory to the Viet Cong over the most powerful army in the world, the United States Army uh, in the Vietnamese uh, liberation struggle. Uh, Today, we're talking to Les Doherty, who is the founder of Pedal for Progress, which is a loose collective of cyclists from Morningstar readers and supporters, Communist Party members, trade unionists from across the country, and particularly the north of England, Manchester, Merseyside, North Wales, but also the capital, London, and how Pedal for Progress has captured the surge in cycling's popularity in Britain uh, to help harness cycling to raise funds for Labour movement, for the Labour movement's own newspaper, The Morning Star. And this summer, uh, Pedal for Progress organised a fundraising marathon cycle ride from Manchester, uh, from uh, the statue of Freddie Engels in the centre of Manchester to London, uh, where it ended uh, at the Golders Green Cemetery at the grave of Harry Pollitt in order to raise money for the Morning Star. So, Les, welcome to Redcast. We'd like to hear a little bit about how you came to have the idea to establish Pedal for Progress. Uh, talk about where the inspiration came from, please, uh, historically, and what you've been up to. Cheers, Al, um, and Al Oshu as well. Um, I, it, it dates back really to uh, 2012, I think it was. It was at a Commerce Party meeting in the then branch over in uh, Liverpool, Merseyside branch, and we were talking about uh, a kind of morning star bazaar uh, and about using it as a, an opportunity to raise money for for the paper, and and kind of I remember in, involved in the, the discussion, we was all talking about well, if, if, if I bring the books that I brought last year that I got off of you, and you bring your books, we'll swap more back again, and I'll buy the books that I bought last year. And, and I thought, oh, hang on a minute, this this is going to take us nowhere. And what we need to do is we need to think differently about fundraising for the Morning Star. And and and, and clearly that sort of year had been, you know, a, a successful year in, in terms of cycling, British cycling in the Olympics and the Tour de France. And, and I'm a keen cyclist myself. So I said, well, why don't we do a kind of sponsored bike ride? Um it would be an opportunity to get out on the road and it would be an opportunity for us to, to do something differently and perhaps raise, you know, money that we'd never previously raised before. And I think that year we did the uh, coast-to-coast ride 
over a couple of days. They weren't regular cyclists, they were just regular Morningstar supporters and we managed to get them across that 150 mile journey and, and in doing so we actually raised a shed load of money for the paper that if we'd have done our regular kind of bazaar, you know, wouldn't have wouldn't have been anywhere near it. So it's kind of it started from there really. And okay, and if uh, if anyone wants to find out um, a little bit of detail about Pedal to Progress, there's a there's a WordPress website, uh, pedalforprogress.wordpress.com. Uh, so you'll see a lot of reports there on the uh, some of the great rides which have been organised by P2P. Uh, perhaps also maybe, also on Twitter as well. And also, uh, I'm just going to give you the. Twitter address, which is uh, at Pedal for Progress. There you go, um, and you'll see, you'll be able to find out a lot more about the great feats of endurance and uh, the uh, wonderful people who take part in the Pedal for Progress cycling rides. Um, so, I was just going to ask you because you've mentioned it to me before. Why cycling? Um, do you think what, what what is it about cycling that has a connect such a strong connection with the working class socialist movement. I mean, I mentioned in my introductory remarks that the bicycle is a, a low technology, economically fairly accessible um, piece of equipment. Uh, but can you just talk about what it is about the, uh, the sport and the technology that lends itself to the propagation of socialism? Sure, sure. I think, I think uh, uh, just sort of like a couple of, couple of things. First and foremost, I think, Sort of like that. There have been sort of like um, uh, uh, periods throughout history where we know that the, the bicycle has been used as a as a revolutionary tool for progress. Um, whether or not that that's been in in terms of war or in, 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 in terms of strife, or whether or not it's just simply about being able to uh, you know uh, find other parts of the the, the countryside that, that people wouldn't normally have got access to. So whether or not it's kind of you know out of you know sport, leisure, or work or industry, the kind of people have been able to use the bike in in that kind of way. So so it it, it kind of it, it lent itself to do a sponsored bike ride as opposed to do a, a sponsored walk or sponsored something else. And in terms of of, of the actual the, the design, I think that there's something pure about. The, the design of a bicycle, and so much that it's not really changed that much over the over the years. Certainly, you know, it's embraced new technology. It's got lighter, it's got faster, but essentially, it's still a frame with the gears and a steering wheel and a couple of you know a couple of wheels. It's still pretty much the same. So it, it kind of represents a real stripped back kind of modernist kind of design for me, and I think that kind of that there's there's something about that that's not just practical, but it's also quite romantic. And everybody can remember the first time that they learned to ride a bike, whether or not it was a hand-me-down bike, or whether or not it was you know something that they were able to get for a, a special occasion. They can remember the sense of freedom that that gave them. And I think it's those kind of punctuation points really that kind of are some of the raw ingredients that lend itself yeah. to our project. And I suppose, you know, people can change a bicycle tyre. People can do basic mechanics on a bicycle. It's that easy, which with a car, frankly, uh, you can't do anymore with a, with a bicycle yeah. car anyway. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it does have that accessibility. You can literally take it apart, grease the ball bearings, put them back in if you know what you're doing. Uh, anyone can uh, change a bicycle tyre if they've got, you know, a couple of, spoons and a tire lever or something uh, yeah. and a bit of uh, and a bit of rubber solution so it is within the grip the grip of the grasp the reach of most people uh, to be able to maintain the vehicle as well okay so could you just run through with us um what you've been doing with pedal for progress i mean i see it started in 2013 it's only seven years ago um and you've been uh, to a number of different countries and made some really I think quite historically significant intervention. Sure. Uh, so we'd like you to just tell our listeners to the Redcast podcast uh, where you've been with Pedal for Progress and 
perhaps if you want to give us an indication of where you might be going in the future. Brilliant. No, uh, happy to. I think that first experience kind of was about 10, 10 riders and there was a, a couple of people that were supporting us. The kind of what we we kind of started to realise that we're stumbling on something that kind of like had you know had got traction and that would be potentially no, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and so so kind of like what we. Uh, what we then started to do was be a bit more ambitious. We thought to ourselves, well, this was already an ambitious step. Let's, how far can we take this? In 2014, we um, delivered uh, an international edition of the Morning Star uh, to the um, uh, French uh, uh, Festival Humanité, um, which was the in, in Paris. edition in, in, in Paris, yeah, which was was kind of like a, a, a bilingual uh, uh, edition, just sending solidarity greetings from Morning Star. So you you set out then from the from the Morning Star's offices, Morning Star head offices in in, in London, in, in Stratford, yeah. Stratford. And we rode we rode over three or four days down to uh, the Parc Courneuve in in Paris for the for the festival itself, where as I say, we distributed uh, uh, the uh, special editions of the Morning Star, helped sell T-shirts advertising what we'd done and all the money, all them, them funds went towards the, you know, the, the, the Morning Star. It was a, a massive, massive learning curve for us really, Al, uh, because the, it was, it was, we, we'd only previously had just gone across the country, let alone, you know, organised hotels and ferry crossings and, you know, navigating our way through, through the, the French countryside. And of course, uh, it's, very it's, it's very important to say that you're not just sending off a bunch of uh, Greenhorn cyclists uh, on bicycles. You've also got support vehicles. Uh, you look after people's uh, accommodation. Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, one, really one, of, one of things, one of the things, Al, that we've, we've, we've tried to sort of like instill right from the beginning is that it, this isn't about you know a gang of lycra louts, you know, bombing it down the road, getting there as quick as they can, not being able to look up and, and take in the views. This is an, a very inclusive project, and we can guarantee. That if you've got general, you know, you're in general good health, that you've got a reasonable bike, that we will get you from A to B, you know, kind of like in a way in which that kind of like reflects our outlook. It's not about how quick you go, it's about collectively getting us all through the actual the journey of that day, the topography of that day, the parkour and being able to make sure that people can feel that you can achieve more collectively than you would do as an individual. And uh, so that was in 2014. You did uh, London yeah. to Paris, the Fête du Léonité. And then what happened in 2015? 15, kind of like, was the, the, the third edition. And um, we did two things there. We, we went back kind of local. We did, uh, we did two editions. We did what we called a grand tour, which was from Liverpool to the Durham Miners Gala, again, raising money for the Morning Star. And then we also did what we called our one-day classic, uh, which was from Bradford to Manchester. And this was honor, in honour of a... a, 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 a Somebody who was very in, uh, of interest to me, local Walter Greaves, who was um, uh, a cyclist in the 30s. He was a member of the Communist Party. Uh, apparently, he was a, a, a prolific recruiter to the party. He was a vegetarian. He was teetotal, um, which kind of like in the in the in the time would have been kind of like difficult, <laughs> bad enough for people these days. Uh, let alone in the in the thirties, but in nineteen thirty six he won the world endurance record, um, which was a phenomenal kind of right feat, given the fact that his bike arrived late. He's doing it in you know he's doing his miles around Yorkshire in the freezing cold winter, whereas his competitor was in 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 uh, Australia was doing it around a nice in a nice warm climate around a velodrome. Uh, he had a couple of crashes, or everything that could go wrong went wrong for him. Yet he still managed to achieve the world endurance record by about October. What's more interesting about this for me is the fact that Walter Greaves was disabled. He had a, his arm amputated as a, uh, a youth uh, when he was involved in a, a car accident with uh, his father. So, so kind of we 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 didn't want to 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 do an addition. 
of our pedal for progress without paying tribute to to, to that great man who is often overlooked absolutely. In, in terms of, uh, of of kind of like you know cycling's great. Absolutely, I mean a world record holder uh, who was a disabled cyclist back in the 1930s. Uh, an incredible story that you've managed sure. to dig out yeah. and, and celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I don't want to rattle through this like some sort of list, but it's no. we can't pass over the subsequent uh, years that you've organised sure. tours sure. with uh, Pedal for Progress. I mean, in 26, uh, 2016, you went from the Morningstar offices to Toll Puddle in Dorset. Yeah. But in yeah. 2017, yeah. you went international uh, yeah, with this incredible yes. tribute to the famous peace race, which... Um, you rode from Prague uh, in the Czech Republic to Berlin. Uh, tell us about that. It must have been oh. a grueling ride. I mean, I know it was a grueling ride. And tell us about the peace race, this great race that is almost forgotten today. Absolutely. But in its time, rivaled the Tour de France as one of the great, um, one of the great grand tours. Yeah, I, I'm honest to God, mate. Of, of all the things that we've done, I think that the um, uh, the fifth edition uh, peace race. Peace Race tribute ride for me has got to be the one that stands out as being the blue ribbon event that we've done so far. Um, it's always been uh, an ambition of ours, really. That if, if you know, you, you think about the grand tours, they're always kind of like associated with kind of daily newspapers, you know, kind of like in, in you know the, uh, uh, the the Giro, the, the the Tour de France has always been about increasing the circulation of the daily sports papers and that. And I always have thought that kind of like, well, we should be able to, you know, through our various projects in raising money for the Morning Star and for other kind of like progressive causes, you know, create the conditions under which that we'd be able to um, create a left press cycling sporty. There is the space for it. It doesn't exist yet. That kind of that there is this you know worldwide interest in in, in cycling for for uh, for these reasons and and the peace race always stuck at, stood out to me as being the the hidden gem. So it tell us, so tell us when it was created and and, and so what it yeah, was about. so it was it's about to say so it was created after the war in 1948, and its purpose really was to help rebuild trust amongst the kind of you know. Um, workers who fought on different sides uh, 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 of, of the, the Second World War um, and helped build kind of um, uh, that trust and appreciation through sport. Um, it was, um, uh, uh, I think the first edition was just, I think, between Poland and, um, uh, and Czechoslovakia and then kind of like the, the triangle was complete. Each year they'd go clockwise or anti-clockwise. Um, and it was considered to be the largest uh, amateur mass partition race in the world. It ran up until 2006, although in truth, by the time we start to see the um, uh, reversal in progress uh, in, the, in, in Central and Eastern Europe by about the late 80s, it starts to lose its, its kind of purpose. It, it had been state-run. It had been backed by the three uh, uh, um, daily newspapers uh, of, of the um, uh, communist parties of those countries. Um, so, it was, so it was. So it was. It was uh, the Democratic uh, Republic of Germany, the German Democratic the, Republic, German Democratic Republic. Yeah, and it was Czechoslovakia, the, Czechoslovakia, and Poland, and Poland. And it was to and it so it was to link that to rebuild the bonds of trust. And uh, comradeship uh, between sure. uh, working cl- the workers of those three countries. Sure, yeah. So it took in all three territories. Took in all th- all three all three territories. That the, the which the, which for anyone who doesn't know the geography uh, includes some pretty formidable mountains. Well, absolutely, absolutely, especially crossing that border from Czechoslovakia to in, into to, to Germany there. So I'd like to hear um, a little bit about that because um, I that's a pretty grueling sure. ride. And, and keep, in, keep in mind as well that the, when this race was, uh, it was a six-day stage race. Uh, and when this race would have been run, it would have been run in, in the, in the springtime, in the May. So the conditions weren't 
like the conditions that we had when we did it in the August, that they were pretty pretty cold like, you know. Um, but but certainly uh, the kind of like when when we 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 actually retraced the the, the, the the route from as you say from Prague to Berlin and when we were crossing that, that border we did it in extreme heat. Um, uh, and, and what I tried to do to ensure, as I said earlier, that it's about inclusiveness and trying to make sure everybody can do it. We didn't go over the, the higher peaks. We we kind of went over the, the, the lower parts of that mountain range. I forget now what it's called. We went over the lower part of that mountain range and it still broke people. It was that that severe. Um, the, 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 the roads themselves were... Um, the, the, the roads themselves were, were akin to kind of like trying to sort of like ride the old roads around Manchester. Um, but doing that out in the, in the open, which didn't help, the heat doesn't help. Uh, so let alone the actual elevation that you would have gained. I know Al, uh, you would have known about the actual, that stage two of the, 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 the this year's route. But if you imagine that kind of like, you know, tenfold. There was the, the actual kind of like problems that, that kind of like we had to, uh, uh, to, to endure. Can I just, can I just say as well though, that, that whilst, whilst that the, you know, that the, uh, uh, Eastern Bloc countries were, were the, 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 uh, uh, the kind of main kind of like participants, that the, the race was opened out to, um, uh, um, teams from outside. Uh, of the uh, Central and Eastern Europe, or outside the countries of the world, and, and it was it was a t- it was very much a team race, wasn't it? Absolutely, um, yeah. As, Absolutely. As, were the teams were the teams national teams, or were they based on cycling clubs? Can you just tell us a little bit about yeah, how? Right, was? sure. So, 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 kind of generally speaking, there would have been national teams from those countries, from the the, 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 the the socialist countries, but then it would have been cycling federations from where they would have been come from uh, um, uh, from abroad. So, Britain entered a couple of times. Uh, I think on one year they won both the individual jersey and the team jersey. Back in the in, in the fifties, uh, and uh, uh, a lot of people talk with fondness about India uh, and India's participation. That whilst they weren't necessarily the most competitive teams, that they were kind of like the, one of the most magical teams to, to go and watch uh, 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 and participate. And one of the biggest cheers of, uh, uh, of the, the day would always be when the Indian riders would be crossing the line. Uh, uh, kind of often hours before after everybody else had crossed. In terms of the actual the, the significance of the peace race for us on the left, in comparison to that of the, all the other Grand Tours, and that is that with the Tour de France, the Vuelta, the the, um, uh, the Giro, the the emphasis is on the individual of the team sacrificing themselves for a leader for that red yellow or pink jersey, the emphasis in the, uh, in the peace race was not about the individual. The individual, you know, points classification certainly was there and was there to be won. But the most prestigious prize was the team prize, was about the team that had the best aggregates of times of being able to, you know, go through that, that kind of like six-day stage race. And there, I think, lies the difference between the way in which we view the sport and the way in which the West view the, the sport. Um, and just before we move off this particular phenomenal uh, piece of cycling history, uh, just tell us about the entry into Berlin when you oh. because I believe this is something that people need to know about. It's one uh, of the most moving and... Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a fantastic tribute to sure, progress sure. and what you've done, but also to the the popular memory of cycling and the peace race at sure. East, uh, East Germany, the former democratic uh, German Democratic Republic. So, sure. can you just run us through. Yeah, what yeah, ab- absolutely. One one of the one of the reasons why I think that this particular edition, you know, has been you know significant for us is because it represented a complete step change from what we'd previously been doing previously we were self-sufficient when we just do kind of stuff locally and and relied on our own efforts to organize and deliver on this occasion we um kind of like reached out to the uh czech and german communist parties um 
and were engaged in discussions with the with the Czechs uh, about kind of you know current affairs in on the eve of our, um, uh, our our journey, and then kind of like at the kind of like arrival into Berlin, the uh, DKP, the, the German Communist Party, uh, welcomed us into uh, Berlin with a phenomenal welcome. Um, not only did we get a police escort down Karl Marx Alley with the DKP propaganda wagon um, uh, calling out to all these Japanese tourists along the kind of, you know, that uh, East Gallery Berlin Wall that we were the Pedal for Progress Morning Star Riders paying tribute to the, um, uh, the peace race. Uh, and whatever to a amusement of, of everybody that is this crew of, of of kind of like the team plus all the kind of uh, uh, local Berliners who heard about it who joined in on the back of us and we rode down to Trexel Tower where um, we had a bit of a rally that kind of uh, was very emotional because um, a, a kind of a local hero within the Pedal for Progress ranks is uh, a rider from the GDR called Tarve Scher, who was, there was rumour, was going to be joining us. Uh, he's in his 90s now. He would have been in his late 80s then. And he sent a personal message to the team to apologise for not being able to be there because he was actually riding in France, the Tour of Hope. And this bloke was a bloke who was a, you know, I'm a world record holder. He won the peace race on two occasions. He was voted the most popular German sportsman after the annexation of the uh, GDR. And to have received that kind of recognition from the great Sorry. man himself was just, was was absolutely fantastic. Really, okay. really an, an incredible. Okay. People should, people should look him up. Uh, Tave Schur. Um, that's, T-A-V-I? T-A-V-A. T-A-V-A. T-A-V-E. Sure. Yeah. Um, T-A-V-E. Okay. S-C-H-U-R. We also know that you've organised a pedal for Pankhurst, uh, oh. arrived in South Yorkshire um, to celebrate uh, Sylvia Pankhurst with the National Assembly of Women. You organised a, a ride from the National Mining Museum uh, in Wakefield. Uh, to Bochum in uh, the Rock, uh, which is where the German uh, National Mining Museum is, I believe. Yeah. Uh, taking a miner's lamp with you to present to the uh, to the German uh, trade unions over there. Uh, we know that you've organised a ride from Hamburg to Kiel um, to commemorate the Sea of Peace conference uh, in 2018. And in 2019, um, there was the ride through the Low Countries from uh, Antwerp to Maastricht, uh, Brussels, and ending up at the Manifiesta um, Socialist Festival in Ostend. And then this year, 2020, we've just seen the Pedal for Progress ride from Manchester, uh, from the Engels back to in Manchester, to Harry Pollitt's, uh, Harry Pollitt's grave at Golders Green Crematorium to raise money for the Morning Star. So anyone who is interested in cycling and socialism and wants to put their interest to good use and raise money for the Labour movement um, should contact you via your Twitter account. Via Twitter, yeah. Okay. Via Twitter, yeah. Find uh, Pedal for, at Pedal for Progress uh, on Twitter. And there is also, as I said earlier, a, a WordPress site which you can go on to to find out more information. Um, let's move the conversation on to the wider social, historical and political significance of the bicycle and cycling. And I want to bring in uh, my comrade who's been very patient up till now, Stuart McGill, uh, to talk a little bit about um, some of uh, the, uh, well, let's say historical uh, issues around the importance of the invention of the bicycle. Uh, so, and its impact on uh, society generally and on uh, working class life in particular. So, um, Stuart, do you want to 
tee us up with uh, some of your thoughts. Yeah, cheers. I speak as somebody who cannot fix a uh, puncher and cannot change a cycle <laughs> wheel. If I get a problem like that, I call for a cab. Basically, I, I am not a cycling fan. I'm surrounded by cycling fans in my street, and one of my best mates edited the Cycle magazine for about five years. So I thought, Christ, can we actually do a podcast about cycling? But I have found the whole process of doing the research for this and what you were saying before in the first part of this podcast, actually quite interesting. Now, one thing I came across, and this amazed me, I have to say, cycling and the gene pool, just reading some stuff out here from the research. The widening of gene pools, which resulted from basically the 1890s cycling boom, boom, meant that the biologist Steve Jones ranks the invention of the bicycle as the most important event in recent human evolution, which is a big claim. Now, in 69, a geographer, P.J. Perry, completed the study of how the gene pool changed in rural Dorset in Western England. Before 1887, 77% of marriages took place between people from the same parish. Between 1907 and 1916, which wasn't that much further in the future, this had dropped to 41%. Marriages amongst people who live between six and 12 miles apart doubled. Uh, and he put this down to the genetic diversity was brought about by the change in distance between marriage partners being due to the arrival of the bicycle. According to the BBC's Quite Interesting, which sometimes should be questioned under the Trade Description Act, but they say here the invention of the bicycle increased the average distance between the birthplaces of spouses in England from one mile to 30 miles. Now, this is pretty huge stuff in many ways. It's quite a huge step in the genetic history of the country. Les, do you think it would be a good idea to teach, to teach the history of cycling and its implications in school, or maybe at, le at least as part of a history course? It's uh, an interesting idea. I've never, I've not necessarily thought about it before, but actually just, just listening to, to, to some of the detail that you went through there has just got me got me uh, uh, kind of thinking that I think that in terms of it being part of the history I think absolutely it, uh, it has a, a place um, working class history is often overlooked uh, in, in, in the curriculum in general and you know we've sort of you know in, in implied so far that the bicycle has played an important part in, in working class history so so certainly it, you would think that there is a role there, but I would actually take it a little bit further as well, uh, Stu, and say that kind of like the, the bicycle could, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, bringing that into the, the, uh, the curriculum in terms of the design of bicycles, in terms of engineering, in terms of, you mentioned before about that practical skill of not being able to, you know, repair a puncture. Why couldn't that be, you know, something that kind of like, you know, young folk are, are introduced to. So we don't have that situation uh, where, where people are stranded and, and having to call for, for cabs are, are, uh, uh, in the middle of the, the evening. So, so yeah, you know, in, in terms of, you know, a history course, you know, I think that the bicycle would, would, would certainly be a chapter in there. It would certainly be a chapter in working class history. Um, but I would also add that perhaps maybe within the the, 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 the kind of curriculum of design and, you know, kind of like the, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a practical crafts and some things like this, that there would, would, would be a, a, a place for that too. Of course, we know that the, uh, you know, that the right wing uh, have tried to appropriate the bicycle as well. Um, yeah. It's It's not, there's nothing automatic about the, bicycle or cycling being uh, a, a vehicle for socialism. I mean, most probably notably for people of our generation, uh, I would say, you know, people in their <coughs> uh, sort of uh, the prime of their life uh, would be, you know, the famous comment uh, that we remember from uh, the from Norman Tebbit uh, about his father in the 1930s having not sat around whinging about unemployment, but getting on his bicycle and going to look for work. And of course, you know, so for the uh, Samuel Smiles, pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, brigade of the Tory party in uh, early 1980s Britain, uh, who were seeking to demonise and uh, delegitimise 
the organised working class and to turn us into a class of itinerant job seekers. Um, the bicycle was the perfect metaphor for how you could go about seeking work, um, you know, down south, presumably, uh, or wherever there was still some uh, some jobs going. Uh, and of course, uh, the far right have also tried to appropriate the bicycle from time to time. Uh, it is, I think, associated to a certain extent with you know, the Italian futurists, who were not necessarily uh, all about the far right, uh, but certainly Italian fascism um, tried to appropriate some of the language and the, uh, the symbol symbolism uh, of futurism, uh, as did a number of other political traditions. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, the bicycle has to be fought for by socialists and by the left. Uh, it has to be struggled over, like any other piece of technology has to be struggled over. Uh, those are my thoughts on that. Anyway, over to you. Yeah, no, just 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 on that there. I mean, sort of like if you think of the the, the, the 1930s as a heyday for uh, uh, for cycling, um, the party had actually a a, 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 um, a cycling club, cycling racing team. Uh, uh, this is, this is the Communist Party of Great Britain you're talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, had uh, had that, and that would have come about. That would have been born about from primarily the kind of like a bicycle being used as a means to go to work or find work. To then, when you're not working, what do you do? And being able to then, you know, find ways of being able to socialise, to exercise, and so on and so forth. Would this, so, be, the, would this be the Spartacus cycling? Club? This is the Spartacus. Spartacus. Um, uh, cycling club, and, and was, that, was that just in? Was that based in Manchester in the northwest, or was that a, a national? It, uh, cycling it was a national, a, a national, a national, uh, a national club. But, but its its kind of roots were kind of right in the in the industrial north. Um, you know, in 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 and in, in in the likes of kind of like the northwest, but also in the in in the Midlands as well. And it was part of that British Federation. You know, British workers. Sports Federation and kind of um, you know competed um, in the the Workers Olympics uh, during the the thirties and and that the, the the party themselves the Communist Party the you know in 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 Britain was keen to promote healthy lifestyles was keen to promote kind of like a, um, um, sport as being a uh, um, Something as a, as a, a release from uh, the, the kind of drudges of uh, of work, but also as a means of communication, as a way of being able to, you know, send your message elsewhere. And that kind of there's nothing there's nothing more like putting yourself kind of like out there than you know, racing on behalf of the communist party or the cycling, you know, sport, a Spartacus cycling. And, and, and I, I believe you. I believe you mentioned that the uh, at the time in the mid 1920s, shortly after its formation, uh, the Communist Party leadership certainly expected that they were going to be banned, and in, in indeed the, the leadership of the party were imprisoned. Um, a number of them were imprisoned, uh, but there was a, a famous uh, mass trial in uh, 1925 over the uh, uh, which included Harry Pollitt, the uh, general secretary of the party, uh, who came from East Manchester. And um, in preparation for what they assumed would be the state yeah. crackdown on the party, they were already getting together cycling couriers as providing a means of communication when the party was banned. Can you sort of talk talk about that at all? Well, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly that. That's exactly that. And in, in anticipation that the kind of like that the party would uh, would be forced underground. Um, that the contingency plans were uh, were made, and that there was a cycling uh, 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 corps were were uh, uh, recruited to be able to, if needed, be able to get messages to the outlying areas, certainly in Manchester, and uh, to the outlying areas of Warrington, Wigan, etc. Have uh, been able to, you know, ensure that comrades in those outlying areas were. Uh, fully aware of what the developments were and been able to then sort of like use that to then kind of like disseminate those messages uh, and that propaganda into the workplaces, into the factories, etc. So, um, you know, as I said before at the very beginning here, that kind of like it, it kind of 
reflects that kind of approach that we've you know adopted about using the the bicycle as a revolutionary tool for for, for socialism so um so yeah of course, Conrad Lennon, <coughs> excuse me, was a very big cycling fan as well, as I discovered a couple of days ago from researching more about this. Uh, it's interesting, we you talked about working class history. We're doing something with uh, Professor Tony Collins in a couple of days about sport. Uh, and a large part of sport is very important to our history, but working class sport isn't really considered to be important enough. And he kind of specializes in this area. I must confess, I kind of still associate cycling as being a, a middle-class sort of pursuit. And reading about the early Clarion cycling clubs who took off from the, basically at the employ of the Clarion newspaper, which was a kind of left-leaning paper in the late 19th century. These guys would go around, they were established in 1895, and would basically go around distributing socialist literature. Maybe not socialism as we understand it, but certainly left-leaning literature. And there's a great bit in Trestle's Ragged Treasured Philanthropist where the, the Clarion guys turn up and the working people of the neighbourhood reject the message and start throwing bricks and rocks at them. Do you think cycling is still kind of associated with that kind of, or the evangelical cycling is associated with the middle class out there to speak to the united working classes? Yeah, I think I think just just going back a bit to, to the point that you were saying before about that, that kind of gene pool, I think it's a really good example of how at the at the time that the people that were most liberated by the bicycle would have been middle class women who would have been able to of you know use that as an opportunity to venture out instead of just being, you know, at home and uh, and, and doing whatever middle class women did at the time. That, that they were able to be liberated. So it's not kind of surprising then that kind of like that as we then move on a bit, that you then start to see that the uh, middle classes themselves adopting the, the bicycle as a means for their leisure time on a, a, a Sunday afternoon. Um, catapult that kind of forward. Um, and I think that you're right, that cycling isn't, probably the most accessible of sports. If you want to go for a run, you just might want to get your pair of sneakers and find a bit of a, a, a park to run around. You can do that with very little cost. Uh, the cost of bikes are very expensive. And I guess, will, relatively speaking, will have always been uh, uh, very expensive. And it's not just the, the bike, it's the, 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 the clothing and all the rest of it. However... That's, I think, a fair assessment. However, I think that, that we need to consider cycling in its broader context and that there are a whole range of different types of disciplines within, within the, the actual participation of, of cycling, from the high-end road racing and, you know, being involved in cycling clubs right away through to, to people who are just happy to, you know, trundle along the canal path in, in groups of pals, that, you know, on their, their shed rusty bikes that we're seeing a lot of now in, in, in kind of uh, in, in lockdown. So, so I do think that you're right in identifying that. But I think the kind of the, the points that I was referring to before about where the bicycle did become something that was in the grasp of a worker, that it was then liberated from... The, the middle classes for something that we'd be able to use to our own ends. I get you, mate. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Sorry to butt in there, but you mentioned uh, women now. I want to go ahead and talk about this. Uh, Susan B. Anthony, founder of the American feminist movement, said in 1896, the bicycle's done more to emancipate women than anything else in the world. It gives women a feeling of freedom and self-reliance. I stand and rejoice every time I see a woman ride by on a wheel. The picture of free, untrammeled womanhood. Now, two questions here, I guess. Was cycling associated with progressive, progressive thought from the beginning? And was there an explicit relationship between cycling and the women's suffrage movement? Uh, if I can deal with the, 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 uh, uh, the, the last question first, really, because it kind of ties in with uh, a spin-off that we did for... Um, uh, raising money for a statue for Sylvia Pankhurst 
uh, and we it culminated in a, a lecture that we had uh, uh, about Sylvia and her cycling days. And, and what we uh, kind of like found out was we found out that, that certainly when Pankhurst was on the road, that, that she would send off groups of women cyclists ahead of the, the, the main sort of uh, group to distribute leaflets and say at such and such a time at this street corner that there would be, um, uh, uh, you know, Sylvia would be speaking about kind of uh, uh, um, uh, women's liberation. And um, so I think that kind of that there is that strong kind of like connection in that respect there with both the emancipation of women and, and 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 progress, I think that kind of that the, uh, the it would have, as you were referring to the, the in the the trestle uh, um, uh, extract, that there would have been some raised eyebrows about all of that. Mostly because if you you imagine that kind of like that there you are, you're going about your business and you get these people coming from out of town on these fancy bicycles. In your on your patch, and then they're they're kind of like they're telling you how you should think. I don't think necessarily that people were, you know, uh, uh, opposed to the messages that were coming out. We were just perhaps opposed to the the people that were presenting those messages and the the kind of the way in which that that was uh, uh, the, the way in which that that was uh, uh, was was done. So in, so in, in terms of the um, you know progress element to that, then certainly it does. Uh, it does lend itself to that, and certainly in terms of women's emancipation, I am kind of like clear about that today. Just riding with female riders today, how they talk just about freedom of being away from work, family, whatever it is, just being out on the open road, as with anybody else, that kind of like that, that kind of like resonates all the way through. But also, yeah. of course, you'd have, you'd have you, you need to uh, also say that. In the very hidebound moralistic Victorian society, uh, late nineteenth-century Britain, uh, the bicycle was not only a vehicle for women's uh, equality, women's liberation, uh, ability to ability to get away from their immediate surroundings, but it was also a vehicle for sexual liberation, because of course it meant that you could get out into the countryside with your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Um, and you know, no doubt, many people did, and and that was uh, something which I think would have been a major appeal of the bicycle uh, to young people. Um, it's even more anonymous to be out on the open road on bicycles than it is to take a train out to some country area and then have to walk, uh, you know, from the station uh, through the through the village or the town. Uh, you're simply able to achieve more freedom sexual freedom and uh every other kind of freedom by uh, having a bicycle and sure. uh, that, that i think has to be factored in i think yeah logical these sociological explanations about the popularity of the growth of cycling you know have to understand that you know in all human society uh the sex drive is absolutely uh essentially an exp an explanation for why uh, particular technologies uh, are picked up and are important. Interesting you mentioned that because we talk about sex thoughts turns to advertising because as we know sex sells and uh, interesting you're <laughs> talking about female liberation etc. Uh, advertising to really take off in the 1890s uh, partly because of the growth of the bicycle. I forget what the figures are here but uh, yeah during the mid 1890s about 10% of all newspaper adverts were for bicycles. And women were actually identified, probably for the first time, as a particular target group for the advertisers. And some of the French adverts in particular, I'll put this up on the page for the, uh, the red cast. The Cycles Gladiator, it's uh, a naked female with her hair uh, being brushed away in the wind and little wings on the bicycle. So definitely the use of sex to sell the bikes there. Uh, the naked female form, and the real sense of liberation too. Uh, and certainly the advertising industry, I think, was largely created by the cycling boom uh, in the 1890s. So, uh, yeah, I think if you have to understand history, which we do, you need to understand cycling. Words I never thought I would utter. 
<laughs> also, from a serious point of view, uh, if you read Barron and Sweetie, the Monopoly Capital book, which is one of the great classics of economics, uh, in the UK in the 1930s, there was depression in the north of the country, but a large part of the country enjoyed a boom. And that was partly because there was another cycling boom in the 1930s. The bicycle manufacturer certainly helped save the economy for large parts of the country during the 1930s. So, yeah, it's a fascinating and interesting history. And, uh, it's, worth, it's worth just asking Les as well, if we can just pick up on that point that Stuart's raised about uh, advertising. And it, it, it feeds into what you were saying earlier about the cycling press and the sporting press. And the way it's inter it's a it's a mass media, uh, it's it's associated with the growth of newspapers in the late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, it's highly political. Um, it's associated with advertising, and it's also associated with the growth of these grand tour events. So, could we perhaps just talk a little bit about that and the tour yeah events? yeah? And no, I think that's a really really interesting. Uh, um, uh, point that's just been raised there in terms of the whole context of, of, of advertising because I think that the bike, you know, like other kind of like mass-produced, you know, kind of uh, um, um, commodities would have been um, uh, would have been a battleground uh, for advertisers. Uh, the more and more that you start to see the popularity of the bike, the more companies have been, you know, jumping on it. And that, that competing against each other, so you know they want us to buy a bicycle. You know there'll be all kinds of incentives for us to be able to do that, getting it on the never never and everything else. And it's quite interesting that from that point there to now, you know, you know, flash forward to 2020, you turn on, you know, um, uh, the Tour de France, and what do you see? Is that you see. 200 riders, a jaunt, you know, mobile advertising horde <laughs> off down the road. Everybody talks about the winner of the stage, the kind of teams that are doing well. But, you know, during the course of the day, that the kind of big companies, the sponsors uh, of those teams or whatever, they're rubbing their hands with glee every time that there's a mad solo kind of like attack from the beginning because they know that they've got four or five hours of free advertising on TV. So, so, so definitely kind of like, I think that that kind of um, uh, um, uh, relationship is, is there for, for us all to see uh, kind of in uh, today. In terms of, Al, in terms of what was the, what was the other bit that you Well, I, I'm just, I'm particularly interested in, in the way that the, oh, the, the Tour de France, you know, the, the, the one that everyone, uh, you know, talks about, now, uh, the one which has just been won by a British rider uh, from uh, just up the road from me. Uh, uh, the, the, the Vuelta. He won the, uh, the sorry, he won sorry, the, Giro, sorry, the, the Giro. He won the Giro. Sorry, he's just, he's just won the Giro. Absolutely, yeah. We'll, we'll edit yeah. that out. Don't worry. Um, yeah, yeah. But, no, but no, the, the, uh, the Tour, uh, Tour de France. So um, let's talk about the relationship between the Tour de France and the popular press, and in particular with L'Humanité, the newspaper yeah. of French socialism, uh, which, uh, you know, which uh, appropriately was the, the festival de l'Humanité, which the Pedal for Progress riders um, rode to uh, a few years ago. Uh, so the Tour de France is established in 1903, the year before L'Humanité newspaper is established. And, uh, you know, 16 years before the Communist Party, the French Communist Party is set up in 1920, uh, 100 years ago this year. And, of course, L'Humanité is one of the first newspapers in France even to have sports pages because sports was, you know, sport was of the people. It was, uh, it was popular sport. And, you know, there's this whole argument in French politics where the church, the embodiment of reaction, uh, looked down on sport as being um, something that should only really be played for the glory of God. They were very suspicious about modern uh, professional sport and they were very suspicious about working class people being able to participate in sport uh, and try to suppress it, um, particularly under the Vichy uh, period in, uh, in the 1930s and 40s. So the, sorry, in the 1940s. So 
uh, the growth of the tour is intimately linked with the assertion of political independence by the French working class and the growth of the French Communist Party. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the history of the tour and the significance in its relationship with uh, the party in France? Sure. I, I mean, I think that the, um, the, the first point to, to recognise is that, that Britain is in Britain is is way behind the likes of Italy, France, and, and Spain in terms of kind of like cycling being a, a mass participatory kind of ex, you know uh, um, uh, uh, event. Um, and that certainly, particularly in, in France, that the kind of cycling is embedded into the culture. Um, uh, and, and so therefore, that kind of like its popularity amongst all classes is, is, is I kind of guess the same as it might be for football here in, 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 in Britain. That's, you know, in, in, in France, it, 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 it's cycling. And so when, when, you know, the, the Tour de France was, uh, uh, set up. Primarily, it was about promoting sales, uh, um, uh, and it was about being able to advertise, kind of like the you know the the the, 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 the newspaper at the time, uh, is it Auto or uh, yeah, Auto, Auto or, Express or something, or Auto Equip or, 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 or whatever it was. And and that the, the the significance of the yellow jersey, by the way, is because that the uh, the actual paper was printed on the yellow paper. Same with the the uh, La Gazzetta is printed uh, in Italy is printed on the pink uh, on pink paper, which represents the leaders' jersey there. And I think the kind of the so, so straight away, you know, you know, in its DNA, the Tour de France has has you know got people that are bought into this because this is something that kind of like is, is, is part of their, their, their lives. And I think that kind of like that as the um, Communist Party grows in popularity, it recognises that this is, this is something that workers are interested in. This is something that kind of like, you know, that is, is part of us and that therefore that we have a vested interest in, in this. And kind of like at one point, um, kind of like the um, after the war, uh, the Communist Party actually tried to buy uh, the, the 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 Tour de France. It valued it that so much. Um, I remember as a I remember as a, um, a kid. It might have been maybe uh, maybe kind of like I mean uh, late teens early 20s that you'd watch i think it was on when did channel four start was it in the 80s was it yeah mid 80s yeah mid 80s i remember back in the mid 80s it, you'd watch the tour de france on channel four and one of the things that me and my pals used to kind of like you know be watching it for would be them helicopter spot views where you would see french communist party slogans it wouldn't be as you see it today for kind of like the you know the rider, the popular riders and gene on the, the teams. There'd be trade union and communist party slogans that kind of like you know um, uh, adorn the on on the floor. And of course, kind of like you know you can't uh, you know uh, pass this particular part of the discussion without remembering the actual uh, disruption that French farmers. Have uh, uh, played in uh, ensuring that kind of like that their messages of being able to get a proper slice of the actual the monies, but uh, uh, kind of like hadn't uh, 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 disrupted uh, um, the, the tours. I think most notably in the seventies um, when Eddie Merckx was getting the ump uh, about kind of like all these protesters kind of like handing him leaflets. About, I think it was the fact that kind of like that the, the tour was going through certain fields, certain roads, and it was then farmers that would get the money for it. And then all these other farmers were saying, Well, what about us? Why don't you come around this way as well? Like, do you know what I mean? Which is why, in itself, the actual route, planning the route, is a competition in itself amongst the actual towns and villages in France because it's they recognize the actual kind of like the, the, the money that there is to be. Uh, to be made from from that, 
Les, one thing uh, which made me think about what Alex said before regarding the bike as a conflict between the, or a source of conflict between the left and the right. What's the story about the connection between the Tour de France and the Dreyfus case? Uh, I do remember this, but somebody's going to have to remind me because I'm sure... Um, Didn't the magazine that kicked off the Tour de France, they, there was one magazine, as I recall, uh, and the magazine yeah. started to take a pro-Dreyfus stance. Do you remember this at all, Alec? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we have to end part one of this redcast on cycling. To find out more about the Dreyfus affair and its connection with the Tour de France, along with some more about the political economy of cycling and the need for an integrated transport policy incorporating the bicycle, you're going to have to listen into the second part of the podcast. Thanks for listening so far anyway, and we'll be talking with you soon. Cheers. <laughs>